All right, we're going to be in Galatians 4 today. So there's a Bible on the pew in front of you, or you can grab your Bible, your devices. Oh, sorry, offering. Uh, finance will get mad at me. If you brought a paper offering today, uh, you can drop that in the black box at the back. There's a black box that says give, a physical offering you can give there. Otherwise, the electronic ways that you can give are up there on the screen. You can head over to our website, meadowbrook.ca. There's a big button in the top corner there that says give that will help you along the way as well. Thank you. Bless you as you give this morning. Uh, Galatians chapter 4 is where we'll be today. Uh, how was everyone's Friday? We're going to circle back to that and take some time to jump into that today. Um, the word of God and the gospel deserve our full attention this morning, right? So we're going to give our full attention there. Uh, and then we'll chat a little bit about what's going on. So um, that's called a teaser for those of you who don't know what's happening today. Here at Meadowbrook Church, we are helping people take their next steps with Jesus. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, we want to help you take those next steps. And we are here, if you have been walking with Jesus for a long time, if you are newer to Jesus, if you're not even sure about Jesus, and maybe you're just checking things out, wherever you're at, we want to help you take your next steps. We focus on that primarily three ways, upward, inward, and outward. We want to be taking our next steps upwardly in our walk with Him, our connection with Him, our communion with Him, our knowledge of Him. We want to take our next steps inwardly as he does his work in us and as he transforms us and makes us more like Jesus and we want to be taking our next steps outwardly as we live it out, as we share the gospel, as we connect with other people, as we live this out in this world. And so we have been in a series the last number of weeks. We're walking through the book of Galatians just a little bit at a time. We've called it the freedom gospel and the word gospel just means good news and we've wanted to just refresh ourselves in how good the good news really is. We just want to renew ourselves in that the good news that comes to bring us into freedom. The good news that although all of us, Scripture says, like sheep have gone astray, we have all wandered away from God in our sin. We have all said, I'll go my own way and I'll do my own thing. And, and we have all cut ourselves off from him in that journey. God was not willing to leave us there in that place. And God, through Jesus, comes running after us. And he goes to the cross and he dies there to deal with the problem of our sin. And then he rises from the dead to deal with the problem of our death. And he invites us back into fellowship with himself, wiping the slate clean, removing our sin from us and granting us everlasting life as we do so. That's a good present to get. The good news of the gospel. And the gospel comes, as we've been seeing in Galatians, to bring us into freedom. A number of years ago, I was on a ministry trip to Barbados. And in Barbados, uh, in the capital city, which is called Bridgetown, there's a great big roundabout in the middle of the city. And, and as you drive through the roundabout, we're a little more used to roundabouts now because we have some in the county. But, uh, but back then, this was kind of new for all of us Canadians. And so if you're not used to a roundabout, especially really big ones in major cities, they look like you're going to die for sure, right? It looks like chaos. We were never taught in driving school how to navigate these things. But there's this big roundabout in the middle of the city, and right in the middle of the roundabout is a great big statue that looks like that. It's called the Emancipation Statue, or the Freedom Statue. And Barbados was a slave colony. The, the British owned the, the island, and the people were enslaved. And under Queen Victoria, freedom was granted to the slaves, and so they were set free. And the statue was commissioned in the middle of the city to remind them of where they had been, to remind them of the freedom that had come. Now, this might sound controversial, but I'm of the opinion that freedom is always a good thing. 
Freedom is always better than slavery. It is always better than bondage. And there would no, be nobody in Barbados who drove past that statue and was reminded of where they'd come from and what their ancestors had been through and the freedom that had come to them. Not a single person today would drive by that statue and say, well, there weren't, they weren't all bad days in slavery, though, right? Like that, there was some good stuff about it. Like nobody wants to go backwards into slavery once you've been set free. And yet that's exactly what Paul is worried about in the book of Galatians, that the good news has come to set people free and they are moving back into bondage, moving back into slavery. There actually was a time, we have a time in the Bible, when God's people who had been brought out of Egypt, they'd been brought into freedom, God had freed them from their slaves, and as they're wandering in the wilderness, Israel would have these moments where they'd say, man, we really miss Egypt. Right? It sounds insane. It sounds crazy, right? Like, again, what Barbadian person would look at that statue and enjoy the democracy and the freedom that they have and say, well, I, I kind of miss the chains, to be honest. And yet that's exactly what Israel does. Israel says, oh, we miss, we miss the food. Remember how good the food was in Egypt? Here we have manna that we got to eat. It's the same food every day. Remember all the food that we had in Egypt? And it's like, guys, and the chains, right? And then the slavery and the whipping and the, the killing of your children. Like, you're not remembering this right. But there is something about slavery that is kind of appealing. And as crazy as that sounds, for Israel, it was, at least we knew what to expect then. The slavery is always the same, right? Your meals are all planned out. Your days are all planned out. You don't have to trust God on faith in the wilderness. You don't have to hope that the manna comes every morning. You don't have to follow the cloud and move through the desert. Like, there is an appeal to slavery. Slavery can be comforting in a way. And, and in the natural, that sounds crazy. But in the spiritual, that's the concern. Paul's concern with the Galatians is, you were slaves, and now you're free, and you're moving back to slavery. What's wrong with you guys? But there is a, a pull to the car that can pull any of us back into that if we're not careful. That we forget how good the good news really is, and we fall back into that trap of striving and earning and trying to make things happen by our own efforts. That's the slavery that Paul is talking about, getting back into a relationship with God that's based on your efforts, your striving, your earning, instead of receiving the freedom of the gospel as the gift that it is. So let's keep going today. We're in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to keep plugging our way through the text. We're going to start in verse 8 this morning. Galatians 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. 
It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, from whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Galatians is rich, eh? Every week I go, man, it's, it's dense. Like there's just so much. I, I said to the staff in retrospect, I wish I'd sort of spaced this out over like five months and just we could have done a little bit each time because there's so much goodness in, in every single part of it. But Paul, as we've been talking through the series, for anyone who's joining with us uh, partway through, uh, is very concerned about what's going on in the Galatian church. And the main thing he's concerned about is that he has come into the church and preached Jesus. Jesus has come. Jesus has died for your sins. Jesus has risen from the dead, put your trust in Jesus and follow him. That's the, the simple message of the gospel. And then there is a group, and he alludes to them in today's passage, there is a, a group of other teachers, other leaders, and they have come in, and they have said, well, not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus you have to do a bunch of things. You have to be circumcised, you have to follow the scriptures really well, and so the law is everything that God had commanded Israel in the Old Testament to do. Uh, Moses had gone up and met with God on Mount Sinai, God had given them the Ten Commandments and many other commandments as well. That collectively is known as the law. And from Moses until Jesus, Israel primarily related to God through the law. And then prophets who would come and speak in the name of the law. And so that was how God interacted with his people. Israel measured itself in God's eyes based on how well they were following the law. And that was part of the existence of being a part of the people of God. As we've seen as we've gone through Galatians, the law was never God's plan to stay there forever. It was always a temporary measure that was going to be in charge until Jesus came along. And when Jesus came along, the law wouldn't be in charge anymore. The people of God would no longer relate to God primarily through the law. They would relate to God primarily by the Holy Spirit. You could have a personal relationship with God. You could know his voice personally. You could know his presence personally. You could stand before him and come boldly before him personally. And so what's happened is Paul has gone into the Galatian church, said you're free from that in Jesus. You can have your own walk with Jesus. You're welcomed in to the family of God through Jesus. And others have come along and said, well, Jesus plus the law. We can't forget the law. You got to keep doing the things of the law or else you're not saved. And so Paul, as we've talked about, is pretty fiery in the book of Galatians. He is very, very concerned that anybody is adding anything to Jesus when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is just Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything. 
It's not Jesus plus any human effort. It's not Jesus plus you got to jump through these hoops. It's not Jesus plus anything. The gospel is just Jesus. So as Paul starts our passage today in verse 8 and 9, he says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? That Galatia was full of idolatry before the gospel got there. And so Paul's saying, before you heard the good news, you were enslaved to all of these non-God forces, right? All of these idols, all of this idolatry that was going on, you were enslaved, and then you were set free, and you're not turning back to the idols, but you guys are heading back into a different kind of slavery. You're moving in the wrong direction. The gospel comes to move you forward towards Jesus, and now it's moving you back in the other way. These teachers are leading you in a bad direction. And so the freedom had come in the good news. They were free from the false gods, the idols. They're also free in a much bigger picture from sin. They're free from death. They're free from earning. They're free from striving. They're free from trying to make it happen themselves by their own fleshy efforts. They're freed from all of that. And so Paul says, why in the world do you want to go back to any of that? Why in the world, once you've been set free, do you want to move back into any form of slavery? You're moving in the wrong direction. He uses an example in verse 10 and 11. You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Ouch. Paul, like a, a parent, right? Like a disappointed parent. And then some of the words, like it from a disappointed parent, sting a little bit. I'm worried that I, I've wasted my time. You guys are going in such a, a bad direction. And so he's using an example. You're observing these days and months and seasons and years. He's talking about uh, the days and months and seasons and years that were laid out in the law. That the law said that you should honor this feast and that feast. And this is a holy day. And this is a, a Sabbath year. And this is the year of Jubilee. And all of those things. And so under the influence of these teachers who had swept in, that they are now saying, well, in order to be saved and right with God, you got to follow all these dates in the law. And Paul says, no, we don't do that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. Your salvation and your standing with God does not depend on that. that. That trying to earn God's salvation, to earn his favor, to earn his blessing, because if I just follow the rules really, really well, then God will give me the blessing. That's against the gospel. That's actually anti gospel because the gospel comes as gift. And so as one example, the church in Galatia is falling back into the law-based rhythms of, of the, the different feasts and different things. And Paul says, no, we're, we're set free from that. That's not something that we need to do anymore. Verse 12, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. And we start to see some of the, the kind of parental heart of Paul uh, really well in this passage. We've seen throughout Galatians already as Paul is building an argument. And Paul has been studied, by the way, uh, certainly amongst the church, but also by scholars outside the church, uh, even you know, philosophers and those who don't believe in God. They really admire how Paul builds an argument. And so Paul's rhetoric and debate skills are studied far and wide. And we say, well, we know the Holy Spirit's helping fuel all that. It's not about Paul the man. But there is uh, such an interesting way that Paul has built an argument throughout Galatians. If you remember back to previous weeks, he started off by saying, hey guys, did you get saved and receive the Holy Spirit because you worked really hard at the law or was it because you believed what you heard? 
right? So he makes an appeal, first of all, to their personal lived experience. How did the Spirit come to you? It came by faith as you trusted in Jesus. So you don't need to add all this law stuff to it. Just think of how you got saved and what that looked like. So he started off with a personal experience. The last couple of weeks, as we've seen, he has built into a biblical argument then. He says, all right, let's go all the way back to Abraham. God made Abraham a promise. The gospel promise starts with Abraham that all peoples of the world will be blessed through Abraham's line. And so it's not about the law because the promise came way before the law. You're not saved because you followed the law really well. You're saved because God made a promise and he keeps his promises. That's who our God is. And so he's been building his argument. There's a, a person, what's your personal experience? And then here's the biblical argument, and let's wrestle through that. And now he's making a personal appeal. He's making it much more personal. And he's saying, basically, guys, you know me, right? Like, you, you trust me as, as the person who led you to Jesus, as the person who planted this church. You know, you, you need to, to listen and trust me. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. Paul would say elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 22, when it comes to the gospel, he says, to the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, although I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. We're going to get a bit more into that in the next couple weeks. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I become weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. So Paul says, I'm actually, I gear my, my message to the audience that I'm talking to. If I'm preaching the gospel to a Jewish audience, I'm going to preach it in a certain way. If I'm a Gentile audience, I'll preach to them a certain way. It's going to be different. And I, I you know, lower myself to connect with whoever I'm talking to so that all might be able to hear the gospel. Right? If it's Gentiles who don't know anything about the law, there's no point going in like a Jewish person and talking to them about the law because they don't know what that is. And so Paul is willing to not compromise the message anyway, but he's willing to shape the method that he uses based on whichever audience he's talking to at that time. And so when Paul says to the Galatians, become like me as I became like you, that's what he's talking about. That when I came to you, I met you where you were at. Never changing the gospel a little bit, but in, in how I related to you and how I shared with you, I came to you and I met you where you were at. I became like you. We also have another clue from Paul a little earlier, or sorry, a little later in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You've heard me preach on that passage many times before. That we all have people in our lives that we look to in our family and in our friends and in our mentors and others that we look to to help us follow Jesus. We don't elevate them to the level of Jesus, but we are part of a body and we all need one another. We all need people that we can look to. And, and so Paul is not saying that he's perfect or flawless in any way. He's saying to the extent that you see me following the example of Christ, you can imitate that. Don't imitate my sin, don't imitate my flaws, but to the extent that you see godliness in me, follow me as I follow Christ. And so Paul's saying the same thing to the Galatians. He's saying, hey, become like me, follow me. I became like you. That's how we met, and that's how the gospel came together. And then we hear a little bit more of his backstory with the Galatians in verse 12 through 15. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. So it's been speculated that just on Paul's missionary journeys, he maybe wasn't planning on stopping in Galatia, but he got sick, and so he had to wait for a while there. 
there. While he was there, the gospel came out and got to spread. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. That's something that we're all called to do, actually, for one another. We treat one another as if you were Jesus yourself, himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So again, he's appealing now to some of that personal connection that uh, I was on my sickbed and you guys were there for me. Uh, There's a few different passages in the New Testament that suggest that Paul, uh, his eyes didn't work particularly well or or he possibly had a disease of the eyes. This is one of those passages that, you know, you you would have given me your own eyes if you could have, if that were possible. And so he has been on his sickbed. That's how the gospel came. That's how they met. And so he's essentially saying, guys, you loved me then and you listened to me then. So love me now and listen to me now. Right? I'm not your enemy because I'm trying to, to speak the truth to you. I, I'm not the bad guy here. I am trying to save you from a, a false gospel. And so just listen to me and remember all that we've been through and trust me like you've trusted me in the past. Verse 17, talking about these false teachers who had come in. These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you will have zeal for them. So the concern, Paul says, is they're not even trying to draw you to the Lord. They're not even trying to draw you to him. They're trying to draw you to themselves. These are teachers who are coming in, and they have a lot of passion, and passion can be really convincing. Uh, You know, when a speaker's really passionate and really sincere, you kind of want to believe them, right? And so there's a a passion there for what they are, are trying to communicate. There's a zeal there, but Paul says it's not a good one. And, and they're actually trying to be divisive. They're trying to pull you away from us. They're trying to actually draw you to themselves. They're not even trying to draw you to the Lord. And there are some teachers out there who do that, and we're not scared of anybody, but we just always want to be aware that, you know, the ministries and those who are ultimately trying to draw you to themselves and not draw you to the Lord. Um, they're, they're, you know, I don't think the majority are that way at all, but uh, just the, the gentle warning of Scripture there, that, that any teacher or leader worth their salt is drawing you to Jesus and only to Jesus. Paul would say, I've promised you to a bridegroom, right? My job is to get you ready for the bridegroom. It's all about him. And so we are focused on him and then drawing people to him. Um, so watch the ones that puff themselves up too much or talk about themselves too much or make it all about themselves or say things like, we're the ones who have the Bible figured out. No one else has it figured out as well as us. And come to us if you want the real truth. We're just aware of those teachers and ministries that are out there that talk that way. Verse 18, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. So zeal and passion are good, he says, if the purpose is good. Obviously, when we talk about zeal, we talk about that fieriness, we want to be zealous for the Lord. There's a lot of other things in life that would pull us in different directions that would want our attention. Um, I've said from the pulpit before that, you know, there are people, there are Christians I know where I know about your earthly politics way more than I've ever heard you talk about Jesus. I know about your hobbies more than I've ever heard you talk about Jesus. I know your feelings about the Maple Leafs more than I've ever heard you talk about Jesus. So zeal is not a problem. Even zeal for those things is not a problem. But where is the zeal in your life and what are the most important things? Paul says zeal isn't a problem as long as the purpose is good. And and we all know the Leafs are good. But, you know, it's not the main focus of life. And then he says, and not just when I'm with you, right? Like it's, don't just be zealous for the Lord when I'm around. Like don't just put on a show because the apostle Paul's in the room. Be zealous all the time. Are you zealous when no one's watching? 
Are you zealous in the secret place of your life? Are you zealous when you're on your own? Are you zealous just on Sunday mornings? Are you zealous just on social media? Uh, zeal is good, Paul says, if the purpose is good and if you're that way always, that you're not putting on a show and just showing off when people are watching. Are you zealous when no one is watching? Verse 19, my dear children from whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. I just like that whole line. I said, I don't want to talk to you this way. How parental is that? I, I wish I didn't have to do this. But, and Paul says, my dear children, and the Greek there, it's literally just like my, my little ones, right? My, my little ones, the ones who I love. And there's this somewhat bizarre um, feminine picture here for a man to be using, right? Like, I feel like a mom in labor for you. And Paul does that a few times, actually, in the New Testament. He uses this mothering image of what his heart is for the church and the love that he has for the church. He would do this in 1 Thessalonians 2 as what. I think I've lost. Oh, there we go. First Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's Paul's heart, right? And, and a lot of what Paul does in the New Testament is correct, and that's part of his job as an apostle. But then we see just this great big heart in there as well, that I, I'm like a mom in labor. I'm like a nursing mom. Uh, I love you that much. That's what the, the care that I have for you when I do all of these things. And so Paul's acknowledging that in this letter, uh, he's rebuking them, right? And he's, you know, you, you idiot Galatians, he says at one point, you foolish Galatians, you've been cast under a spell. His frustration is boiling over. And even in this passage today, like, I, I wish I didn't have to talk to you guys this way. You, you're just perplexing me. You're not making any sense. It was different when I was with you and, and you were grabbing onto the gospel. Again, you're moving in the wrong direction. Moving on, verse 21, as we come to the end. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, you who want to go back into slavery, you who want to be under that burden of trying to earn it all the time, are you not aware of what the law says? You want to be under the law, you don't even know what the law says. For it is written in the law that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. And so Paul from here goes into quite an elaborate metaphor from the life of Abraham. He's already been talking about Abraham. And Abraham's just a, a great, fascinating story to, to keep coming back to. But God had spoken to Abraham and said, you will have a son, and from that line, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. The gospel promise starts there with Abraham. It starts earlier than that, but that's where it connects to the Jewish people. And so God makes his promise to Abraham, and Abraham is an old man at that point. His wife is an old woman at that point. Menopause has long since happened for Sarah. Childbirth is impossible, but God has made a promise, and he always keeps his promises. And so God and Sarah are given this promise. You will have a son. And through that son, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. The promise is given to him and his wife. Now, Abraham and Sarah kind of get tired of waiting. And they decide, we're just going to help God along here. And they did something that sounds horrific by today's standards. And it is horrific. But in their standards at that time was a, just a culturally accepted thing. Uh, we can wrestle through that another day. But uh, Hagar was a, a slave, was a servant in the home. Slave, not servant. She was a slave in the home. 
And so it was a commonly accepted thing at the time. Sarah says, we'll go sleep with Hagar. She'll have a son. It will be considered our son as part of our family. We'll build that line that God was talking about. And so Abraham sleeps with Hagar. She conceives she has a son named Ishmael. And so there's more to the story, but it, it is something in this moment that Paul is using as a metaphor for everything he's been talking about. And so he's taking a Bible story and he's kind of spiritualizing it to make it about the old covenant versus the new covenant, the slavery of the law versus the freedom of the gospel. And it's the kind of thing that, that Jesus and the apostles do a lot. Um, there are voices out there that talk about when it comes to scripture that the, the original historical context is the only way to look at God's word. And, and I agree that it's crucially important at the same time. Uh, it's not something Jesus and the apostles always do when they're teaching. They are fine to take the stories of Scripture and use them in different ways. And so I think in Scripture we are always starting with the original historical context because we don't want to ever twist something out of context. But we also need to leave room for the Holy Spirit to speak the way he wants to speak. Uh, we don't want to put limits on him that scripture itself doesn't put on him um, unless we want to say the Apostle Paul's wrong in what he's doing right now. I think if I were to preach a message like this today, if that wasn't here, there would be somebody who would come to me and say, you know, Chris, there was nothing in Hagar's story that talked about Mount Sinai. That's not what that context is about. Like, that would happen. And yet here's the Apostle Paul doing exactly that as the Spirit speaks. And so let's not put limits on the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit doesn't put on himself when it comes to understanding God's word together. There's an elaborate metaphor that is being put together uh, in this story. And so Paul acknowledges that, verse 24, these things are being taken figuratively. This is a metaphor. It's not literally what the story was about. The Spirit is giving us a different insight to the story. The women represent two covenants, the old and the new. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar, the slave woman. This is the law, he's saying. Now, Hagar stands for, stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Jerusalem, at the time the letters being written, is under the slavery of the Roman Empire. Jerusalem is not free. But the Jerusalem that is above, heavenly Jerusalem, God's kingdom, is free, and she is our mother. And so again, there's all these connections he's making that are kind of cool in this story that Hagar, the slave woman, represents slavery. Hagar represents human effort, right? Abraham said, we'll make this happen ourselves. We don't need to wait for God. We'll make this happen. So she represents the human effort where we're striving to make God bless us. She represents the old covenant. She represents the law. She represents earthly power. Sarah and Isaac, on the other hand, represent freedom, right? The free woman, the wife who, who wasn't in slavery, uh, represents the divine promise. Because even though Abraham had tried to make it happen himself, God would show up after that and say, listen, I'm going to bless Ishmael because he's your son and I promise to bless your children. But you and Sarah actually was what I meant. You didn't have to take this into your own hands. It's going to be a miracle. There's a divine blessing coming to you as a gift that only God could do. So God will get the glory in it. Isaac is born from a divine promise. This represents the new covenant. It represents grace. It represents the power of God. That just like the gospel doesn't depend on human effort at all, but comes to us by grace, Isaac was a, the result of a divine promise that came to Abraham and Sarah by grace. And so we don't need to be trying to focus on, hey, you know, what was the old way that we earned? We don't need to try and make God's will happen on our own. He's saying we're, we're part of a totally different thing. That just like God made Isaac happen miraculously, in the gospel, God makes our salvation happen miraculously. 
He's the one who fulfills the promise. He's the one who makes it happen. Verse 27, quoting from Isaiah 54, for it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy. Cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more of the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So again, Sarah had a husband in Abraham. But using this quote from Isaiah to say that there is joy coming to the one who, who never had a child. Uh, the impossibility that uh, a barren woman was going to have the level of joy and the, the number of offspring that were going to come, um, it was all going to be fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. That God is at work in the childless woman, Sarah, and just like the gospel, God is the one doing it. He is the one who is making that happen. Verse 28, now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. You're not children of earning. You're not children of striving. You're not children of making it happen. You are children of promise, just like Isaac was. And at that time, the son born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. And so again, he's tying it all together with the situation going on in Galatia. That uh, as we talked about in previous weeks, God had spoken to Abraham and said, I'm making you a promise. A son is coming. And through that son, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. And so we are a part of that same promise. It started with Isaac. It comes down all the way to us. That what started with Abraham, what started with Isaac is fulfilled in us and in everybody who comes to Jesus. And he ties it in even a little bit more. Uh, we see the story in Genesis 21 that Ishmael, who was the older son, uh, began to mock and make fun of Isaac. That they, they weren't getting along. Isaac was just little at that point. Um, but Ishmael, who was the firstborn son, but not the son of the promise, uh, began to mock and, and give a hard time to the younger son. And so as that happens, uh, as Paul unpacks for us in that story, what does Scripture say? Uh, God and Sarah, Sarah speaks up and says, I don't like that this is happening. God says to Abraham, you know, you need to take care of your family. I'm going to take care of Hagar. I will take care of Ishmael. Uh, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So again, out of that story, pulling a metaphor out of it, uh, it is a harsh story. It's one to wrestle with for sure. But, uh, but Hagar and Ishmael are sent away, and yet God's faithfulness is still with them. And he says, I'm going to take care of Ishmael. I'm going to make him into a mighty nation because he is still the son of Abraham. And I promised Abraham his offspring would be like the stars in the sky. So even though Abraham screwed up and even though he said, I'm going to make it happen. And even though he said, I'm going to earn it. God in his grace still says, I will redeem this. I will still redeem this situation. And yet because Isaac is the son born of the husband and wife, he's going to be the one to inherit everything. And so the promise is fulfilled that way through him. With God's blessing, uh, slavery was leaving the story. And as he ties it into the gospel, he's saying, Galatia, for you guys as well, slavery is supposed to be leaving the story. The gospel has come to bring you to freedom. So don't move backwards. Don't move back into that mentality that says you have to earn it. Don't move back into that place of trying to strive and always make yourself right with God. Receive the good news for the goodness that it is. Receive the good news for the blessing that it is. Receive it for the gift that it is. The gospel comes to move us forward, not backwards. And so don't move backwards into that slavery. And in the next couple of weeks, we will dig into that a little bit more. Uh, Galatians 5 and 6, we will keep going there. All right, I'm going to switch gears here for a moment, and we will uh, have worship in just a couple of minutes, and we'll close off in prayer. 
Uh, most of you will have heard the news by now. We have sent uh, a letter out to you last Friday. There's a letter in your mailbox as well. I'm just going to read it to you uh, for those of you who haven't heard it. And then I want to share my heart with you a little bit more and we will go from there. So to our beloved Meadowbrook Church family. After nine years of serving here as one of your pastors, the time has come for me to step down. My final day will be Sunday, July 23rd, 2023. This decision has been prayerfully wrestled through by Sarah and I with much patience, fasting, counsel seeking, and waiting upon God. In recent weeks, we have felt the release from the Lord to transition into a new phase of our ministry. My family and I say this with sadness and yet overwhelming peace. We love the people of this church dearly. Even with some of the challenges that we face during our time here, we are overwhelmingly pleased and grateful for all that God has done during our tenure. All pastors serve for a season and then pass the baton to another. It is a sacred trust ordained by God and one that I have always taken with the utmost seriousness. I've never joined a church unless God said go, and I've never left a church unless God said go. The verse that keeps coming back to me is 2 Timothy 4.7. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Paul was talking about dying soon when he said that. I am not, to be clear. But I have that same sense. I've given Meadowbrook everything I've got for nearly a decade, and my leg of the race here is now complete. It's time for a new leader to come and lead you onward. I've done everything I can to love you well, to teach you well, to guide you well, and always, always point you to Jesus. I've taught you faithfully from the word, preached Christ crucified and resurrected, and prayed endlessly for the blessings of God and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon this place. I've been honored to officiate your weddings, overseen your funerals and burials, baptized you, dedicated your children, walked with you through crises, encouraged you, prayed with you and for you, and done all I could to build you up in the faith. We have laughed lots together and cried at times as well, enjoyed God's presence on the mountaintops and struggled along together in the valleys. Through it all, his abundant and amazing grace has been with us all. I'm sad to go, but feel accomplished and finished in a good way like a relay runner who has sprinted hard and completed their leg of the race. God has been and is wonderfully at work in our church and has answered more prayers than I can count during my time here. But Sarah and I have a clear sense that we have given our all and fulfilled our call and our season has come to an end. And in a time where by any metric Meadowbrook is thriving, it is a good and healthy moment for me to pass the baton to whoever your next leader is, who will come in with fresh legs and fresh vision and run the next part of the race, leading you into God's best for you in this next season. We are truly excited to see this happen. As for the walkers, I have taken a new position with a national ministry called Impactus Promise Keepers Canada, overseeing their online teaching content and helping them create new teaching curriculum. Although we've prayerfully decided we will not attend Meadowbrook in order to give your eventual new pastor space to lead, we will be remaining in Leamington and would like to remain connected to the church and to you. And so in that sense, this is certainly not a goodbye. Even in the heartache of the transition, we know that this is a good thing and a God thing, and we are filled with great hope and anticipation for the church and her future. The church leadership will begin planning for what's going to happen next, and the Board of Elders will be communicating with the church as things come together. Please pray for these leaders and give them your full support as I care deeply for them. They are all humble and devoted Christ followers who give much of themselves for your sake. We love you, Meadowbrook, and have never stopped praying for you since the spring of 2014 when we first heard about you when we were looking for a new job all those years ago. We continue to pray for Jesus to be glorified here, 
for an open heaven over this place, for God's wisdom and direction to be made clear, for you, his people, to be built up in the most holy faith, and for the goodness of God to be made manifest at Meadowbrook now and forevermore with our love and gratitude. And it's always amazing to me. I've, this is my fourth church that I've worked at. This is my fourth time I've had to do this. And each time, I said to Sarah a couple weeks ago, before we'd made it public, I said, there are going to be those who God has already been speaking to about this. And, uh, and even since we shared last week, that a number of you have come, and, and you know, this person had a dream, and, and God spoke to that person and said, Chris would be leaving by the end of the summer, and there's just all these little God confirmations. Even before we knew anything, uh, God was speaking to some of you that this was coming. And, and I know not everybody, but um, I just... God's just really good in that way, that even on a hard day and in a hard time, uh, he just reminds me that he is not surprised by anything and that he has known this even longer than I have known anything. Um, as we have been preparing for this, I want to make really clear, uh, we're leaving with a tremendous amount of gratitude and a tremendous amount of peace. We're not leaving with any unfinished business, any frustration, any anger, or anything like that. Uh, I know sometimes when a pastor leaves, people want to know what's the real story and what's real going on. Uh, I have no drama for you. I have nothing to, to make you excited at the scandal. Like, there's nothing, uh, nothing any more complex than simply it's time. And, and again, like I said in the letter, I just feel finished in a good way. There's, there's a bad sort of finished, and then there's a good sort of finished, and this is a good sort of finished. And so uh, we're very much at peace in all of it. Uh, it's been a long discernment process for us as we've wrestled through it. There have been, uh, just in nine years, I think any pastor would say this, there's various times over the years where you say, well, should I stay for another couple years? Is it time to move on? And then what are you saying, God? And any time we would ever pray about it over those nine years, God would say, stay, and so we stayed. And, and some of those years, like in COVID, were really, really challenging, and God said, stay, and so we stayed, because it has always been our ambition to walk in step with him. Um, as we began to pray more recently, we felt the peace of God, we felt the release that, that the time had come to go. And, um, and just like the, the relay race, uh, I'm not a runner at all, so this is a bad metaphor, but um, if it was Jeff Magdalene, it would be funnier. Uh, the relay race, you know, passing it off, um, there's a timing to it, right? There's a, just a perfect timing to it. And you can, you can go too early, you can go too late, there's a perfect timing to it. Um, we're so happy with the place that Meadowbrook is at right now, and, and even with some of the hard years, COVID and, and other things, um, to be in a place where we are thriving. The staff is healthier than I've ever seen it. The board and the staff working together is amazing. Our finances are solid. Like, there's just so much good stuff happening, and, and in our kids, and in our youth, and in our young adults, and in our life groups, and in our prayer ministry, and the Holy Spirit is moving in incredible ways. Like, we're so happy with where the church is at. And, and to pass the baton in a moment where things are healthy and things are going well, rather than missing the moment, rather than waiting until things start to go in a different direction, like there's, there's just a divine timing. And we believe we found it. We believe that this is the moment that will do the best for Meadowbrook as we pass the baton on into the next thing. We're celebrating so many things. And, and as I said, there's, there's good tears and there's bad tears, right? And, and we've shed a lot of really good tears in this for us. Um, we told our kids before we told you, and, and there were lots of tears. And, and again, we're staying in town. Our kids are staying in the youth group here. You know, we're, we're going to visit. Like, we're not, this isn't goodbye, goodbye, even as the season is changing. But as our kids were in tears, understandably, and, and, and kind of processing it all, um, you know, what I said to them was, 
you know, there's, there's good tears and bad tears. These are good tears, right? There's a good sort of sad, and it just means you've loved something a lot. And you've loved something a lot, and there are tears, and that's, that's a good thing, right? It's, it's better than going, oh, good, Chris is gone. Uh, get him out of here, right? Like, I'll, I'll take the tears. Like, as, as unpleasant as that feeling is for a little while, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's, a, it's part of the healing. It's part of what is moving on there. Um, so the, the board and the MMT will start to get together, figure out next steps. There'll be an interim plan that's put in place, and then a search will begin for a more permanent solution. Uh, the board will be communicating with you, all of that stuff along the way. Worship team, come on up. We need to, fin we need to sing that song again, The Goodness of God. Uh, goodness of God, Andrew, not the other one. I know you had another plan, but I'm calling an audible today. And as we move into the next step. So we're going to be here for a couple more months, so we're going to have some time together yet. Today is not goodbye. Um, I appreciate so much uh, where you have been supportive in the last few days and, and encouraging and, and sad and heartbroken, and, and we have wrestled with all of those things as well. Um, just a, a friendly pastoral warning. I'm not coming at you like Paul this morning, but with the same parental heart. Um, where some have said, and it's understandable, well, what's going to happen next? And, and we're used to you, and you're in the pulpit, and who's going to be in the pulpit, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and that's natural, and that, that needs to get wrestled through for sure. Um, just let's be very careful that we're not elevating any man too high, right? And let's be very careful we're not making the Lord too small in this, Right? <laughs> And as we have wrestled through this, Sarah and I have had more time with this than you, obviously, but as we have wrestled through this, um, we look at the last nine years and say, I, I didn't know all that I was in for, to be honest. Like I was, some of you will remember, I came to be the teaching pastor for Greg Allen. That's how this all started. Uh, it's been quite a, a journey in different directions since then. It wasn't all kind of what I thought it was going to be. Uh, and yet we see the goodness of God over and over and over again. And we believe without a doubt, God called us from Sudbury. I was freezing my butt up in the north. Um, and now I was going to come and sweat through the summer. We we're just going to, it was just a switch in a different direction, but we were there and we had no intention to leave our former denomination. We had no, we didn't know if we were going to move. We didn't know what was going on. We were just praying, God, send us where you want to send us. We are open to whatever. And God found us in Sudbury and knew you guys were down here and, and like a matchmaker in the perfect timing and the perfect way he brought us together. And we have been here in faithfulness to what we felt like he called us to do. We've been here for the last nine years. We've given you everything we've got. And let's not make God too small in the next transition that he's not already speaking to your next person who's also going to be the perfect person for the next season to lead you into that next thing. The sadness is, again, it's good. It's normal. The, the wondering uh, is, is important. And, and we got to wrestle through all of that stuff. But um, like, I love you too much to leave you out of the goodness of God as I go. I have full trust in his faithfulness for this church. I have full trust, and I meant what I said in the letter. We have a, an excitement in our spirit for what's next for Meadowbrook as we have been praying about it uh, and what your next leader is going to be able to lead you into. And so that's going to come down the road. In the meantime, we're going to be sad together for a little while, and we will walk through that together, and we will, we will have a goodbye a bit later in the summer, not now. Um, but I am fully convinced that God is leading in this process and will lead in this process. He doesn't make mistakes. He always keeps his promises. The goodness of God, the promises of God are being fulfilled at Meadowbrook Church. This won't change that. It'll be a 
different season, but it's not going to change his faithfulness and what he's going to do next. So we're going to spend a bit of time in worship. Again, just reminding ourselves of that this morning. Uh, once worship is done, Wes, one of our board members, is going to come up and he'll share for a couple minutes and he'll dismiss from there. But would you just stand and worship with me, please, this morning? Let's remind ourselves of who we worship today.